Chapter Seventeen of the Second Latchkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibbony. The Second Latchkey by Charles Norris and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Seventeen. Ruth Van Smith's Eyeglasses. Ansley could not read the look yet she felt that it might be read if her soul and body had not been wrenched apart and hastily flung together again upside down it seemed with her brain where her heart had been and vice versa why had ruthven smith looked at her as he spoke in his loud voice of the stolen malindore diamond a blue diamond set with small brilliance in a ring had he found out that she did he believe but she could not finish the thought it seemed as though the ring knight had given her and told her to hide, was burning her flesh. Could her blue diamond be the famous diamond about which the jewel expert was telling Lady Cartwright? A horrible sensation overcame the girl. She felt her blood growing cold, and oozing so sluggishly through her veins that she could count the drops. Drip, drip, drip. She hoped that she had not turned ghastly pale. Above all things, she hoped that she was not going to faint. If she did that, Ruth Van Smith would think— what would he not think? She found herself praying for strength and the power of self-control, that she might reason with her own intelligence. Of course, if this were the diamond, Knight didn't dream that it had been stolen. Just then a hand reached out at her left side and poured champagne into her glass. It was the hand of Charrington, the butler. Ansley saw that it was trembling. She had never seen Charrington's hand tremble before. Butler's hands were not supposed to tremble. Charrington spilled a little champagne on the tablecloth, only a very little, no more than a drop or two, yet Ansley started and glanced up. The butler was moving away when she caught a glimpse of his face. It was red, as usual, for his complexion and that of his younger brother were alike in coloring, but there was a look of strain on his features as if he were keeping his muscles taut. Sir Elmer Cartwright began to talk to her. His voice buzzed unmeaningly in her ears, as though she were coming out from under the influence of chloroform. "'What will become of me?' she said to herself, and then was afraid she had said it aloud. How awful that would be! Her eyes turned imploringly to Sir Elmer. He was smiling, unaware of anything unusual. "'Oh, yes,' she explained at random. Fortunately, it seemed to be the right answer, and the relief this assurance gave her was like a helping hand to a beginner skating on thin ice.' Sir Elmer went on to repeat some story which he said he had been telling the Duchess. Ansley suddenly thought of a woman rider she had seen at a circus when she was a child. The woman stood on the bare back of one horse and drove six others, three abreast, all going very fast and noiselessly round a ring. "'I must drive my thoughts as she did the horses,' came flashing into the girl's head. "'I must think this out, and I must listen to Sir Elmer and go on giving him right answers.' and I must look just as usual. I must. For night's sake, she seemed to hear the words whispered. Why for night's sake? Oh, but of course she must try to think how it would involve him, if the blue diamond was the famous one stolen from the Van Vreck's agent on the Monarchic. He would not be to blame, for if he had known, he would not have bought the diamond. And yet, might he not have known? He had told her few details of his life before they met, 
but he had said that it had been hard sometimes, that he had traveled among rough people and picked up some of their rough ways. He had confessed frankly that his ideas of right and wrong had got mixed and blunted. From the first he had never let her call him good. Would it seem dreadful to him to buy a jewel which he might guess, from its low cost, had to be got rid of at almost any price? Ansley was forced to admit, much as she loved Knight, that his daring original nature, so she called it to herself, might enter into strange adventures and intrigues for sheer joy in taking risks. She imagined that some wild escapade, regretted too late, might have led him into association with the watchers. Maybe they had all three been members of a secret society, she often told herself, and Knight had left against the other's will, in spite of threats. That would be like him, and brave and splendid as was his image in her heart. She could not say that he would never be guilty of an act which might be classed as unscrupulous. This admission, instead of distressing, calmed her. Allowing that he had certain faults seemed to chase away a dreadful thought which had pressed near, out of sight, yet close as if it stood behind her chair, leaning over her shoulder. For a moment she felt happy again. She would tell Knight what she had heard about the Malindore diamond, and how like its description was to hers. Then, no matter how much he might hate to let it go, he must show the blue diamond ring to Mr. Ruth Van Smith, and have its identity decided. The girl drew a long breath, and determined to put the subject out of her mind until after dinner, so that Sir Elmer Cartwright need not think her a complete idiot. But the deep sigh that stirred her bosom stirred also the fine gold chain on which hung the blue diamond. The chain lay loosely on her shoulders, lost, or almost lost, among the soft folds of lace. She wore it like that with a low dress, not only to prevent it from attracting attention and making people wonder what ornament she hid, but also because the thin band of gold, if seen, would break the symmetry of line. It was Knight who had given her this little piece of advice the first time after their marriage that she had dined with him in evening dress, and since then she had never forgotten to follow it. Tonight, however, feeling suddenly conscious of the chain, she was on the point of looking down to make sure that it was shrouded in her laces. Something stopped her. With a quick warning thump of her heart she glanced across at Ruth Van Smith. A few minutes ago he had not been wearing his eyeglasses. Now they were on, pinching the high-bridged thin nose and he was peering through them at her, peering at her neck, her dress, as if he searched for something. Ruth Van Smith knew about the blue diamond. He knew that she wore it on a chain hidden in her dress. The certainty of this shot through brain and body like forked lightning, and seemed to sear her flesh. She was afraid. She could not tell yet of what she was afraid, but when she could disentangle her twisted thoughts, one from another, the reason would be clear. Then it was as if her mind separated itself from the rest of her, and began to run back along the path she had travelled with night since the hour of their first meeting. It ran looking on the ground, seeking and picking up things dropped and almost forgotten. Knight had not been pleased, when the Countess de Santiago talked to him, of their being together on the monarchic. The Countess had seemed wishful to annoy him in some way. She had taken that way. They had known each other well, and for a long time. They knew a good deal about each other's affairs. Sometimes one would say that the Countess still liked to annoy Knight, and he resented that. He had been unwilling to have her asked to Valley House for Easter, though he knew she longed to come. And Ruth Van Smith! 
Knight had not wanted him. Could it possibly be on account of the blue diamond? Had Knight heard what she had heard, there at the dinner-table, and was he anxious about what might happen next? Hastily she flung a glance toward her husband. He was not looking at her, but it seemed, perhaps she imagined it, that his face had something of the same tense, strained expression she had caught on Charrington's. How odd, if it were true, that both should have that look. One would almost fancy that they shared a secret trouble. But Ansley shook the idea away, as she would have shaken a hornet trying to sting. How dare she let such a disloyal fancy even cross the threshold of her mind? A secret between her husband and his servant, a secret concerning the blue diamond, which stabbed them both with the same prick of anxiety at the mention of the jewel. No sooner was the venomous thing dislodged than it crept back and settled close over her heart, for Knight's eyes turned to her, and in them was the look of a drowning man. Just for the fraction of a second she saw it, then the curtain was drawn over his real self that had come to the window and signaled for help. He smiled a friendly smile, and took up the conversation with his right-hand neighbor. But he had hidden his soul too late. The message could not be taken back, and Ansley was sure that he, too, had heard the story Ruthven Smith had told so loudly to Lady Cartwright. The fact that he had lost his unruffled, nonchalant coolness, even for a single instant, warned Ansley that Knight must be desperately troubled. He bought the diamond for me, knowing what it was, she told herself, and knowing that it must have been stolen. Of course that's why he made me wear it, where nobody would see. But who else knew, besides the man who sold it tonight? Somebody must have known, and told Mr. Ruthven Smith, perhaps the thief himself, hoping to be spared, and to get money from both sides. That is why Mr. Ruthven Smith accepted the invitation here, which I was so sure he would refuse. He has come because he thinks the Malindore diamond is in this house. That must be it, but how can he have found out I am wearing it? As she thought these things, asking herself questions, sometimes answering them, sometimes unable to answer, she managed to keep up some dulcetory talk, first with one of her neighbors, then with the other. It seemed to take all of her strength to do this, and made her feel weak and broken, not excited and vital, as she had felt on the wonderful night at the Savoy, when Nelson Smith had praised her pluck and presence of mind, in saving him from a danger which had never been explained. How she wished, with all her anxious, troubled heart, that she knew how to save him to-night. It had been very wrong to buy a stolen diamond, but he had done it from no mercenary motives, for he had given it to her. She supposed that he had loved the beautiful thing, and felt when it was offered to him that he could not bear to let it go. Perhaps the Countess de Santiago had stolen it on the monarchic. That might be a cruel thought, but Ansley could not help having it, for it would explain many things. Besides, it would help to exonerate Knight. He was very chivalrous where women were concerned, and he would have felt bound to protect his old friend. At all events, he could not have given her up to justice, and very likely she had been in debt and needed money. She had wonderful clothes and must be extravagant. Yes, the more Ansley dwelt on the idea, the more convinced she became that Madalena de Santiago had stolen the blue diamond, and perhaps all of the other things on the monarchic, while pretending to have a vision in her crystal of the thief, and of the way the jewel had been smuggled off the ship. Then the Countess had been angry with Knight, and had tried to have him suspected, even of being mixed up in the theft, though that last idea seemed too far-fetched. 
How hateful, how mean of her, Ansley thought, ashamed because it was so easy to believe bad things of the Countess, and to pile up one upon another. Probably she put it into Constance's head to suggest having Mr. Ruth Van Smith asked, and then she put it into his head to, to... The girl stopped short, appalled. What had been put into the jewel expert's head? What precisely had he come to Valley House to do? He has come to find the blue diamond, the answer flashed into her brain. Madalena de Santiago's eyes were as piercing as they were beautiful. She might have noticed the fine gold chain which her pal's wife wore always round her neck. She might have guessed that the ring with the blue diamond was hidden at the end of the chain. Yet she could not know for certain, because Knight would never have told her that. Therefore it followed that neither could Ruth Van Smith know for certain. He meant to find out, and if he did find out, Knight would be punished far more severely than he deserved for buying a thing illegally come by. I will save him again, Ansley resolved. But how? What might she expect to happen? And whatever it was, how could she prevent it happening? End of chapter 17